everyone, and welcome to Pro Tour Talk with Steve Dodge. I'm Steve Dodge, and I'm happy to have you here. Today is uh, today is April 25th, 2018. Uh, tomorrow is day one of the Glass Blown Open. Uh, if you're listening to this on the podcast, then uh, I have probably already played my first round at the Glass Blown Open. I think it's my first PDGA event that I've played in over a year and a half. So if you're in the area, probably want to come out later in the day so you don't have to watch me play. Uh, anyway, I'm actually very excited to be able to play, and uh, and it's going to be it's going to be pretty darn fun. So uh, with the glass blown open happening, uh, we're going to do a new. We got something special going on for you all today. The big thing is thank you all very much uh, for all of the questions that you've submitted through dgpt.com slash AMA and on the Facebook page and Instagram as well. Um, but I'm going to do basically go through those questions and uh, and just encourage you to keep, continue to ask those questions. A couple of those questions are actually going to be topics that we talk about on future shows uh, because they're, there's a lot more in-depth and in at least one case, I don't really have an opinion yet. And uh, and I want to bring a couple people into the conversation, have that conversation, and then hopefully develop an opinion. But so uh, dgpt.com, that's our website, slash AMA, uh, which I think stands for um, questions that we want to know the answers to. So uh, what the first question, uh, what do you think of spectators in the fairways? Uh, and then the person goes on to say, uh, seems like a distraction in many ways as a player and viewer. I feel seeing spectators in a direct line of the hole or a couple of guys jumping out of a bush because they nearly get hit by a disc comes on comes off as unorganized. Or is it a unique part of the sport? Just an observation, not a complaint. Keep up the good work. Uh, first of all, thank you very much. Use the sandwich sandwich technique. Went ahead and finished off on a positive note so that I don't uh, feel like I'm being attacked. Always a good idea when asking a question. Um, I would say it might be a unique part of the sport right now, uh, but hopefully it will not continue to be so as we get more and more organized. Uh, the, the two events where uh, spectators were potentially involved uh, at the memorial, there was a water bottle. The water bottle was eight to 10 feet out of bounds when it was hit. Uh, in my opinion, the spectators were a, a, a totally appropriate distance back. And uh, and one spectator, when seeing the disc coming towards them, all the spectators did the right thing and moved back. One person forgot to pick up their water bottle as they moved back. I don't know if I would have remembered to pick up my water bottle as a disc is flying at me. Um, I would have just said, hey, I need to move back. And that's an unfortunate circumstance. But I think those spectators were in a, a, a totally appropriate place. Uh, the other place the spectators came in to uh, into effect was at the Waco Annual Charity Open presented by Dynamic Discs. And at that event, uh, the spectators, again, I think were an appropriate distance back. Um, if Nate had had any idea that he was going to throw the disc over there, he would have clearly asked the spectators to move. So in those two instances, I think the spectators were in a, uh, an absolutely appropriate place. Um, the, the question specifically is, what do you think of spectators in the fairways? I think spectators in a fairway are, is a bad idea. 
I think spectators standing eight to 10 feet behind the OB line is absolutely appropriate. And if the OB line isn't going to come into play, then right behind the OB line is a, is a perfectly appropriate place to be. So this is uh, something that is happening in our sport as we get more spectators. It's something that we will learn to um, learn to control better as we grow and, uh, and we will continue to do so. Um, one thing that we have done uh, over the past month is have conversations with tournament directors and uh, we've actually created an organizational document about uh, expectations for um, for the people that for crowd control, the people that hold the tape. So uh, now now we actually are spelling out what those expectations are because it's becoming wonderfully it's becoming needed. Uh, and that's that's kind of the whole goal. The second question, I think I'm going to go ahead and say this needs to be a, a show unto itself. It's a, a fantastic, it's a very good leading question. And I genuinely don't know the answer because I, I, there, there's two sides and they're both correct. And I, I don't know what you do in a situation like this. And the question is, should we use video replay? Um, it seems like if we have evidence to get a call right, we should use it. Uh, I will agree with that entirely. It seems like if we have video evidence, we should use it. Uh, and in my opinion, uh, players should be allowed to, for example, take photographs of discs that are questionable whether they're inbounds or not. Right now, according to PDJ rules, that's not allowed. I think that absolutely should be allowed. And the, the, the counter to that point and to the use of video evidence is not all cards have are, are being videotaped. Uh, so that's a, that's a valid point for, for example, a, a footfall. Like we've had a couple of uh, sizable footfalls uh, that have been caught on video. And, uh, but if that was on a different card, it wouldn't have been caught. So, uh, however, the concept of taking a picture of a disc that's out of bounds, it seems to me like basically every card has at this point has some sort of camera or smartphone and can take that picture. So it actually is a fair and level playing field regarding taking a picture to determine if a disc is in or out. So when you bring it back to the tournament director and discuss your provisional, he can actually make, he or she can make a, an educated decision as opposed to just hearing uh, people's interpretation of what the, where the disc was. So in regards to a disc being out of bounds, uh, in my opinion, absolutely, that is something that we should do. In regards to video evidence, I see both sides of this. Number one, it's not fair to all of the competitors because not everybody has video evidence. Number two, if we have video evidence, we might as well use it. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and make a note, and that's going to be one of our episodes in the future. Uh, that'll, that's a fantastic conversation. Thank you for that question. Um, number, question number three, do you think you'll start tracking the success of the companies that sponsor the players? Uh, it would be interesting to see at the end of the year how the disc companies fared against each other. Uh, maybe a point system where a top 10 finish awards points towards your company. Um, I will go ahead and say that uh, Pro Tour points, which matter, uh, in fact, do track that information. All you have to know is who is um, sponsored by which company. Uh, someone, uh, I think Miles was telling me earlier tonight that he heard on UltiWorld that this is something that they are actually thinking about doing. And I would absolutely encourage them to do this. This is, uh, these players are, um, 
representatives of their companies and the better they do and the more often they're they're mentioned and the more often their sponsors are mentioned the better off for everybody so i absolutely think this is a great thing to do i don't think it's necessarily an appropriate thing for the pro tour to do um we have our pro tour points and that's how we're going to track how the players do so uh do you question number four do you focus on the amount of time someone watches <laughs> just to toot your own horn um, how on earth does this really matter? More people watching means, oh, that's my response. Okay. So how on earth does this really matter? So I think what they're talking about specifically is the number of minutes, the amount of time someone watches. Yeah. So the number of minutes that people watch the live broadcast, which has gone up, I mean, back in 2008 or whatever the year was, our, our average minute watch time was about nine minutes. Um, and over the years, it's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, back in 16, we were around 31 minutes. In 17, we were around 34 minutes. And so far in 18, we've, we're at 37 minutes. However, we're trending up. The Jonesboro Open, it was just under 40 minutes on average watch, watch time. So hopefully we can keep inching that up and actually get our average up to 40 by the end of the season. And the reason that it matters is because Sure, you can just say we we had 5,000 people watch this live broadcast or like we're doing nowadays, 25,000 people watch. But if 25,000 people watch and they only watch for five or 10 minutes, then uh, either they're uh, watching for a little bit of time and then as soon as a commercial comes on, they're tuning out um, or they're not even getting to the commercial. And But if we can show people, hey, these people are watching for an average of 40, 40 minutes at a time, they are being uh, they are watching many, many commercials, which, in fact, is how we pay for everything. So the amount of time that people watch is critical. It's a number one. It shows that people like what we're broadcasting. And number two, it shows that people are actually watching the ads during the live broadcast, which is how everything gets paid for and how we can grow the sport. So, uh, sure, it's fun to toot our horn and say people are liking what we're doing. But in reality, what we're actually doing is we're telling the. Uh, the partners and the advertisers, hey, people are watching your ads and they care about who you are. So uh, number, I don't remember what question we're on, maybe five or six. Uh, I think you should have a men's tent. No question, just a comment. Uh, I went ahead and pretended that that was a question. Uh, and my reply is thus. I, I said, well, you actually did ask a question. And I'll return by saying, I think we should have equal coverage of the men's and women's divisions. And there's a reason that we don't. And I'm not sure that all of us are really comfortable with that reason. And I can put together and I have put forward an economic reason, which is that currently the men's coverage is watched by more people than the women's coverage. The uncomfortable aspect is it comes when you start talking about society and what our norms are and, uh, and what uh, what the roles of the genders are in our society. And it, it starts getting a little un genu genuinely uncomfortable to talk about. So what I want to do is I want to just, rather than saying, why do we have a women's tent? I want to say, why don't we have equal coverage of everybody? If we had equal coverage of everybody, I'd be 100%, let's get rid of the women's tent. But in, in reality, um, Basically, for the last 40 years, our sport has not done a, a great job of telling women, we want you to play the sport with us. And 
because of that, we have less than 10% of our player base is women. So of the two and a half million people that are playing, 250,000 of those people are women. If that number was just 30%, so high school soccer, 40% of the participants are women or, or girls. Uh, in golf, 25, 20 to 30% of the people that play golf are women. In tennis, 40% of the people that play golf, uh, play tennis are women. If we had just 30% of the people that played disc golf at this point were women, we would have a half million more people playing, more women playing. Instead of having two and a half million, we would have three million people playing the sport. Those half million people, half million women that are not playing are the reason that we have the women's tent. Um, so that that's why we have a women's tent um, because we have a whole bunch of things that we're doing this year for the women. We're, we're taking more pictures of them. We have more videos that we're showing of the women. We're showing, uh, we have the women on the leaderboard um, and, and a bunch of other things. I think there's a list of six or seven things. And the women's tent is just one aspect of that. So along with all of these other things, basically what we're doing is we're telling the women we want them to play the game. Come play this sport. It's very fun, and we want you here. So, uh, and it this question was great because it reminded me of, who is this? Uh, I don't remember the person's name. I think it was David Moser sent me this reply. Um, I had asked Addie Maxwell, I apologize. I'm going off on a little tangent, so just stick with me here. Um, I had asked Addie Maxwell, uh, how we would feel if ESPN came to the sport of ultimate and said they'd like to try covering the sport, but only the women's field until coverage proves successful. Uh, I was gender flipping there, and it's a, it's a good way to look at how we feel about things and how we, like the real reasons that we're doing things. Um, and David said, I think Addie gave a fine answer, but she could have done more. And I'm going to read to you. I'm just going to read this answer because I think it it says a lot about why we have a women's tent. And then I'll get off this topic, topic for now. It says, uh, instead, suppose ESPN came to the governing body of gymnastics and said, people like watching gymnastics during the Olympics, so we're going to put it on our channel on Sunday afternoons. This is ESPN talking. Now, you've got a 12-year-old son who fell in love with gym gymnastics during the last Olympics. He was enamored by the strength and balance of those guys on the pommel horse and the rings and the horizontal bars and the parkour-esque floor exercise. He talked you into paying for gymnastics lessons and has been attempting for a few weeks now. Saturday, you two sit down to watch ESPN and you watch the ladies perform the vault, spin around on the uneven bars and dance across, across the balance beam. And then the show is over. No pommel horse, no rings, no balance bars, no men at all. Uh, I should say no parallel bars, no men at all. Your son was so excited to watch what was possible for other people like him, but his division of the sport was ignored entirely. You do some research and find that ESPN decided that the risk of covering gymnastics at all was fairly high, so they all only wanted to cover the most popular division until they see if it succeeds. That night, you ask your son if he's ready to go to gymnastics practice, and instead of being excited like usual, and motivated by watching the men perform in the Olympics at the highest level, he just says, I guess. 
Next week at school, he's with a group of friends and he mentions his gymnastics practice. Practice. The other boys visualize the only kind of gymnastics they've ever seen, girls jumping around in leotards. They tease him about it. They tease him about it. And he would like to say, no, no, it's really awesome. Just watch the guys on ESPN on Saturday. But he can't because they're not filmed. He gets teased and wearing a leotard with the girls about wearing a leotard with the girls all week. And when it's time to go to practice, he says in a small voice to his dad, I don't want to go anymore. Now, bring it back around to disc golf. A young woman is with her friends and mentions disc golf. They look at her front funny, but she pulls out her iPad and shows them Paige throwing a 550 foot crush over water, then hitting one of those crazy 60 foot putts. She then shows them Katrina laying down a sick roller that curls up around the basket. She then shows them Sarah throwing a flex flex forehand between two trees and around another one to park the hole for a birdie. Those girls are all like, wow. And at least one of them says, I got to try this. Suppose women's coverage doesn't exist. So she has to show them those same shots being thrown by Simon, Paul, and Nico. Those girls will still say, wow, but not one of them pictures themselves doing it. Uh, and all of the people, there's a half million people that have never pictured themselves being the people succeeding and, and having fun playing disc golf. And those women are playing other sports. And that's the reason that we have a women's tent. And that's the reason that this whole conversation really matters. I, I recognize, or Addy should have told me according to David, and but it is true. We recognize the economics and logistics of filming F FPO are the biggest challenge. It's the economics and the logistics. Um, we believe the desire to cover the women is there. That's 100% true. I just think it's important to provide good examples of why it is important so the motivation to do so doesn't wither and have FPO coverage and participation, FPO participation get left behind. I think he summed it up beautifully. That's exactly it. We all have the same goals. We're working really hard to, to get the money. We're working really hard to put the logistics in place to make it happen. And it is absolutely one of our focuses. And it is one of the reasons that we have a women's tent. So sorry for the, uh, the long side road there, but David wrote a really nice piece and I thought it was really well done. So I wanted to include it. Um, and on another note there, uh, one thing that we would like to do, and, and we've started doing this and, and hopefully we'll get to have everything completed before San Francisco. Um, we want to make highlight videos of, of the men and the women, but unlike last year, this year, we have a lot of extra, we have a lot of footage of the women that we never had last year. And a huge shout out to Terry Miller as a thank you, because he's the reason that we have the, that extra, all of this extra women's footage, him and his crew. So I'm going to put together a uh, highlight videos of all of the greatest shots by all of these women. Um, maybe, a, maybe a piece just about Sarah Holcomb's great shots, and maybe a piece just about Jennifer Allen's great shots, and Katrina Allen's great shots, and Sarah Holcomb's great shots, and maybe another piece with all of the women and uh, all of the other women uh, and all of their great shots. And I want to put out highlight videos so we can share how great these women are with other women who we want to bring into the sport. So the one thing that I'm going to ask, though, because there's two things that make all this possible, economics and logistics. Uh, we have the logistics down for these five videos. 
The question I will ask of you and anybody that you know who owns a business or, or wants to be supportive, can you help us publish these videos? We can do it anyway, but we want to start bringing, we want to have the FPO division help bring in some money so we can help spread that money out and do more for the FPO division. So I'm gonna put out these five videos. I would like to ask if anybody, if anybody's interested, 100 bucks and you can present one of these videos. They're gonna be two to four minute clips. We'll put them on our social pages, Facebook and YouTube, and we'll share the original videos with you so you can do the same. Uh, we'll include your logo at the beginning with a uh, presented by. We'll include your logo as a bug in the corner during the entire video, as well as an outro with your logo as well. And I'll also throw in a five second call to action. In between some hot putts, we'll have your logo pop up, say supported, uh, proud to support so-and-so, or go to our website for 5% off or, or whatever you wanna say. Uh, you got a five second message during the video as well. 100 bucks. So if you're interested, just email me, Stephen at DGPT.com. Uh, and if you're willing to spend more than 100 bucks, let me know that and say, I'll give you $1,000 and I want to do all five. That'll be awesome. So first come, first serve, email me, let me know, and, uh, and we'll make it happen. And we'll continue to expand the women's coverage. And we'll go ahead and put some men's coverage out there every once in a while, too. So um, the I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out of order here. Uh, so... The next topic, while I'm there asking for money, I'm going to go ahead and, and toot our horn a little bit more. Uh, we are absolutely getting more and more eyeballs to the sport. And we just published a, uh, a new article on our blog slash news feed called, uh, that says, Eyeballs Gotten, Partners Wanted. So we've got a little bit of a break. We've got about a little over a month before the San Francisco Open. So if you or anybody you know would like to become a partner with the Pro Tour, this is the perfect time. Um, as the article starts out, it says three events into the 2018 season, one thing is certain, people are watching disc golf. Um, we just published an article called Let It Grow, Let It Grow, Let It Grow that touted all of the amazing numbers. Everything is up. Uh, Huge thanks to Smashbox, huge thanks to UDISC, huge thanks to the PDGA. We are all working together, pushing forward, and the live broadcast numbers are showing that you, the viewers, are appreciative. So thank you very much for that. Uh, there are one, two, three, four, five, there's seven different areas that we have uh, have an opportunity to get new partners on board. Um, and actually, it's funny because I'm reading this in our blog and news. And the first thing is article, event articles and recap partner. So if you want to help out our blog, if you want to sponsor our blog, put your name and lights right here on every article. This is a there's an opportunity to do that. You could be a podcast partner. You could advertise in this podcast. We can have uh, up to two 30 second ads. It's a one hour show. So I'm kind of figuring a minute's worth of advertisements is not that bad. So you could advertise in the podcast itself. Uh, we actually have two podcasts also. So there's an, another opportunity on the uh, the Sunday on the Sunday profiles with Dixon Jowers. Circle Zero Partners. So Circle Zero is the show that we start each live broadcast with. Uh, currently, Pro Worlds is sponsoring the uh, profiles section on the Circle Zero show where we do a, a player interview. Um, I fling plastic and Cahill's Pro Shop are sponsoring hotspots. 
Uh, Prodigy Course Design is sponsoring course cuts with Will Schustrick. Um, available spots, we have. Uh, we could make a great shots, so we could just do a, a highlight sh show of some of the great shots of the, from the previous day. Uh, we have trivia questions that could be presented by somebody. We have raffles. Um, we have fantasy disc golf. We could create an overachiever section for the person who played the most above their rating. We could do basically anything in that Circle Zero show that would fit your brand and what it is, the message that you're trying to get across. So if you're interested, please reach out. My email is steven, S-T-E-V-E-N, at dgpt.com, and uh, we will we will make this work for you. Um, we're looking for a presenting sponsor for Chase Cards. Uh, we have op opportunities on site. Uh, and then we also have uh, preview and review highlight videos. So lots of different ways that you can get involved if you would like to, or if you know someone that would like to. Things are starting to go really, really well. All of the numbers are up. People are interested. People are watching. This is the time we need to, to put the iron in the fire because it's hot. I don't quite know the way to word that, but things are hot. And if you want to be a part of the Pro Tour, this is the time to be a part of the Pro Tour. So uh, before I get back to the final question, I'm going to do uh, two more quick things. Number one, uh, this is Pro Tour Talk. So let's go ahead and after three events, let's talk about who's winning the Pro Tour points. Currently, uh, Ricky Wysocki, uh 213 points. Paul McBeth, Nate Sexton, and Garrett Gerthy round out the top four. And James Conrad, Jeremy Colling, Eric Oakley, and Johnny McRae round out the top eight. Uh, interestingly, all of them have played all three events. And in the top 15, only two players are in the top 15 that have only played two events. And those two players are Eagle and Simon. So that's uh, just a little interesting tidbit. And on the women's side, not surprisingly, Paige Pierce is in first with three first places. Uh, Sarah Hokum, Lisa Fakus, and Jessica Weiss round out the top four. And uh, Katrina Allen, Rebecca Cox, Ellen Widboom, and Jennifer Allen round out the top eight. Uh, Madison Walker and Kona Panis, uh, nine and ten. So, uh, and actually similarly to the men's side, the top seven women have played in all of the events. Uh, Jennifer Allen, Madison Walker, and, and Kona Panis have only played two events, and that uh, that's part of the reason that they're eighth, ninth, tenth. Uh, you do get to drop one event, so that is uh, that is something that, like, you, obviously Jennifer, Madison, and Kona will be. I, actually, I'm sorry, you dropped two events. They'll be dropping this event that didn't uh, that they didn't play. So the the numbers will tighten up once the drops start factoring in. And the last question of the day, and then we will close out this Pro Tour talk, and I appreciate your patience with me as I run through the AMA part. And please keep asking these questions. These questions are great. DGPT.com slash AMA. Go ahead and ask anything you want about the Pro Tour, and we will. if we don't know the answers, we'll bring some people on and have a conversation in a future episode. Otherwise, I'll just spout out what I believe the answers are, and we can we can move along. The last question, I saved this one for last because it's really fun. Uh, you touch on a lot of topics, but you don't seem to actually do anything. What has come of the conversations that you have had with the players? So this is a great question. Um, 
are we just talking and spinning our wheels here or are we actually doing stuff? And so I wanted to run through our last episode, all of the episodes that we've had and see what has in fact come of these. And I think some of these, maybe we are spinning our wheels, but some things actually do happen. So um, we talked with AJ Risley and Holly Finley about tea times. Um, what came of that was an agreement that we understand the need for feature cards and we understand that outside of feature cards, we think it should be, we should think that uh, the players should be equally distributed. And uh, we've talked to all of the tournament directors of all, all of the, the the other six events that still have yet to happen this season, not counting the tour championship. And we have actually uh, come up with a tea time procedure. We've had that tea time procedure approved by the PDGA because it's just a little bit different than what they recommend. And, uh, and so going forward, we are going to be releasing that tea time uh, policy. And, uh, and that will be actually, that'll actually occur to, through all of the rest of the events. So tea times has been done. Uh, Wysocki and foot faults, we didn't really talk about anything except for the fact that following the rules actually does matter. Um, Dixon Jowers and I had a, a nice little debate about it. I don't remember which side of the debate either anybody was on, but that's where we all ended up was uh, we all agree the rules matter. Um, episode six was uh, women's media where we talked to Addie Maxwell um, and obviously there's a lot going on. We actually had a discussion earlier tonight about women's media and how you can help make more women's media happen. Um, Dave Felberg and Pro Masters, uh, we did have a good conversation with Dave Felberg and we actually do have, uh, we released an article. I think we released an article or maybe it's, oh, you know what? That's actually going out on Sunday. Look for an article on Sunday about Pro Masters where we put forward a proposal this is not a policy. This is just a proposal. We're just keeping this idea going. So uh, we have some ProMasters ideas coming out. Uh, Jeremy Coling, we talked to Jeremy Coling about playoffs. I don't think it was anything uh, really decided there. It seemed like the kind of thing we need to investigate much more. And at the MVP Open, we will have a two-hole play, a minimum two-hole playoff. And that's uh, we're going to see if if we can go ahead and have two people agree to to tie. And then once they do, we'll have a two-hole playoff. We'll see how it goes, see if people react positively or negatively. And uh, so that that is sort of up in the air, as as you say. Um, we talked with Par, uh, talked about Par with uh, Matt Kruger and Eric Oakley. Um, that is an open question that is just going to have to sit out there and, and be open for a while. And then last op episode, we went in-depth about one particular hole uh, at the Jonesboro Open, and I'd like to keep doing that. I'd like to keep going in-depth about one particular hole and start getting a little more in-depth about what course design is and what good course design is for men and women and how it's not necessarily the same. Uh, and so that's where all of that sits. It's, I'm going to say we're about 50-50 on, uh, on getting resolutions on stuff uh, that we've top, talked about on topic. So we do actually do some stuff. Some stuff it takes a longer it, it takes a, a little bit longer to cook, and uh, and get to a point where people agree or we want to go ahead and try something and see how it works. So uh, that's it for Pro Tour Talk on April twenty fifth. Thank you all very much for watching. The Glass Blown Open starts tomorrow. Uh, you can probably watch the live coverage on PDGA.com. 
You can definitely watch live coverage, I'm guessing, on glassblownopen.com, maybe Smashbox TV on YouTube. Uh, please watch, please tune in, and thank you very much for watching this. Have a great night.